On May 21st, members gathered at an Ivy Ideas Night with Pearson and Peter Crass to discuss how to navigate the emotional roller coaster of business. Pearson Crass, a serial entrepreneur who founded his first company at the age of 15, has been on a decade-long journey in business that motivated him to begin writing his upcoming book, The Existential Entrepreneur. Peter Crass is a best-selling business author who has been featured on C-SPAN, NPR, BBC Radio, and more. His extensive research has made him a thought leader in the business world and the perfect collaborator for Pearson. Together, they spoke on the entrepreneur's experience. The highest of highs and the lowest of lows often lead to stress, anxiety, and depression for even the most successful individuals. In this honest conversation, the father-son duo offer best practices to operate at an optimal level emotionally, mentally, and physically. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is presented by Smartwater. What makes Smartwater so smart? It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's purest source of water. Smartwater copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor-distilled purity, pure perfection. Smartwater also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor-distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. Choose Smartwater or Smartwater Sparkling today and at your local retailer. All right, so we want to thank everyone for coming. We want to thank Ivy for hosting this. We're, we're pretty excited to be here. We don't know how excited we'll be at the end of it, but um, <laughs> what I'm particularly excited about was that everyone got their first round on Ivy, so you're, you're taking away something regardless of how it goes. We've got a lot that we're going to cover tonight, so you'll see us waving our things around. Plus, we were told by the Ivy people if we're going too slow, we're going to get things from the back telling us to speed it up. Uh, real quick, I, I'm an author. I've been studying business leaders for about 20 years. One of my first books was actually called The, the Business Wisdom of Entrepreneurs, and it really looked at all of the icons going, starting with Ben Franklin right through to Bill Gates. And I also wrote profiles for Investors Business Daily, you know, profiling business leaders. So, uh, you know, I have some context for this project. And Pearson? Yeah, so I've been a serial entrepreneur, I guess, my whole life, which, you know, in terms of my career is 10 years, so not that long. I have packed in quite a bit of experience. So I started um, with a company in high school, and then when I got to college, I started a company called Crass & Co. If any of you happen to go to Cape Cod or Nantucket or Martha's Vineyard, You'll probably have seen our shorts at some point in the past few years. Preppy, it was preppy clothing. And basically, I dropped out of school in my senior year to pursue that full time. We scaled it up over a million bucks a year in revenue for a few years, team of eight. And then I burnt myself out and ultimately exited the business in 2016. And uh, now I'm on my second business or really, I guess, third business, which is like a management consulting uh, marketing agency. And we're on pace right now to actually beat Crass & Co.'s best year in our first six months. So it's been going going quite well now. That's kind of a quick background on myself. Yeah, I'm waiting for payback. Um, <laughs> so we're just a quick overview of what we're going to talk about. We'll talk for about 40 minutes or so, and then there'll be plenty of time for question and answer at the end. If you have any questions during the talk, feel free to interrupt, because he's going to interrupt me. I'm going to interrupt him, and just go for it. Uh, we're going to talk about the unique challenges that, that entrepreneurs face. You know, that emotional roller coaster and all the stress and anxiety that can go with it. But it's not just gloom and doom. We, we also really want to focus on actionable solutions and, and paths forwards for people. And in all of what you're going to hear tonight, it, it's not from an academic book that we read in the library. It's from his experiences and 
we've done a slew of interviews, uh, mostly with entrepreneurs who are in the 20 and 30 something age range. So they're really in, in, the, in the trenches, you know, so this is like blood and gut stuff of what, what they're going through. And I think the other important thing here is that we, we had the, the sheets that some of you filled out. I don't know that there were enough for everybody, but the, just looking at this, it, it's no one size fits all, obviously, when we're talking about all this. And we have a variety of different people here, and hopefully everyone will get something to take away. Uh, just out of the 54 or three people who, who did fill these out, who had a chance to, 22 uh, identified themselves as entrepreneurs. Five is employee of startups, and 27 identified themselves as an employee of an established company. And so while our focus has been entrepreneurship, it's really important to know that, that business professionals can really learn a lot from entrepreneurs, and you always hear about how big companies like G are introducing entrepreneurship ideas in, into their, their businesses. So anyway, the, the one thing that surprised me right away about this project was that there's still a stigma around mental health and talking about it, especially for entrepreneurs, in spite of you know what you might read in the popular press. The entrepreneurs we talked to felt there was a stigma. We had uh, the good fortune to interview this guy, Dr. Michael Freeman. He's a psychiatrist out in California, and he's an entrepreneur himself, and he's doing some amazing research with entrepreneurs and mental health. And he's the lead author uh, of a study called Are Entrepreneurs Touched with Fire? And it's totally worth seeing that it's, it's in the public domain. And here's what he said when, when, I, when I talked to him. He said, there's a stigma about mental health conditions that really should not be there because these people are starting companies, they are creating jobs, they are creating prosperity, they are coming up with new products and services, things that make life better for everybody. So he feels there's a stigma. The, the entrepreneurs feel there's a stigma. And just real quick, from his study, just to give you an idea of what's, what other issues entrepreneurs have to deal with, here's what he discovered. So he, he, he had a... a big you know, group of entrepreneurs and then a control group, right? So the entrepreneurs that he spoke to, 49% of them at some point in their life had dealt with a mental health issue of some kind. So almost half, basically half. And if you break it down a little bit, the stats are if you, depression. 30% of entrepreneurs have experienced what you would term clinical depression. So not just feeling the blues, but depressed. The control group, only 15%. ADHD, 29% uh, of entrepreneurs suffer from that versus the control group, 5%. Bipolar entrepreneurs, 11%. Control group, 1%. So you can see there's some underlying issues that many entrepreneurs have to deal with as well. So anyway, that's kind of like the macro view. You want to get into your story? Sure. What got this going? Yeah. So, and I think the important thing to note there too is that, you know, some of these personality traits and things that make entrepreneurs like really, truly great are also kind of their Achilles heel and ultimately impact them as they're running their startup uh, in a negative way. So uh, the reason that we started this project a few years back, I was running Crass & Co. Like I said, you know, everything was going great. Uh, at the time, it was spring of 2015. We were ramping up for a great summer. We just broke 300 stores that were carrying our line. Um, and, you know, from the outside looking in, everything was, was awesome. And basically what had happened is there were these kind of losses that had compiled. So I had herniated a disc in my back. I couldn't get out of bed without, without painkillers, basically. And I couldn't get to the office. So I couldn't see anyone. And I was somewhat isolated. Uh, we had manufacturing delays that were incredibly painful. So, you know, we were shipping customers late and getting a lot of negative feedback. And then we were trying to close uh, an angel round at the time. So, you know, closing an investment round takes up a lot of time. And it can be really stressful. 
So I found myself one day and I was basically driving to the food store and I saw that I had the tire pressure light on in my car and I was sitting there and I was like, oh, geez, like, you know, what if my tire popped and I kind of just veered off the road and got hit by a car? Like, would that be that bad? And I realized like, whoa, like, where did that just come from? Like, why am I thinking like that? So I immediately turned around and I called my dad and I was like, hey, <laughs> you know, things aren't going so hot, apparently. And I didn't even realize it at the time. Like I didn't, I didn't see myself slipping and I didn't like notice how bad like my mental state had gotten until I kind of had that moment where I was like, holy crap, like what am I thinking right now? So that's kind of what actually kicked this project off is I gave you that call back in March of 2015 and we started to dig in. Right. And so his story echoes a number of stories I've heard from young entrepreneurs where it just, you know, something clicks and comes up and bites you in the ass. And all of a sudden you're like, I'm done with this shit. And you don't know why. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, what am I thinking? So it's not the kind of call a parent wants to get, but it was good because we started talking. And, and of course, you know, talking is everything. You got to talk through this stuff. But another thing besides the stigma, the thing that really surprised me in talking to these, these entrepreneurs was the, the code of silence, the culture of silence. And I interviewed this one 27-year-old woman in New York City. She has a tech startup. She had just gotten a million bucks in BC money in the fall. Things were going great. She, uh, this is in the public, she terms herself as a, a renegade lesbian who's an activist and is fighting for a stronger female voice in tech, which is a theme you know, we've heard. She was one of my favorite interviews because she had it so together. But uh, what she said was, uh, and this is to quote, it's, a, it's very difficult to get tech people to admit when things aren't good. Most founders or investors don't want anyone else knowing that actually behind the smoke screen, it's a shit show. In tech, you're constantly encouraged to paint a picture of success and positivity. So there ends up being this culture of silence. And it's not just tech. No, yeah. So you know, once I kind of had that moment, I started to reach out and talk to some of my peers who were also running like apparel startups. And we realized that, you know, we were all just kind of gassing each other up and saying, oh, yeah, everything's great. Like our startup's great. We're growing so fast. And when I started to talk to people and kind of peel that back and to date, I've now talked to well over 200 entrepreneurs since that happened across a variety of verticals. And everyone's having these kind of emotional or mental challenges that they have to overcome. And it's just funny because no one's talking about it. And everyone's just too busy trying to keep up the appearance that they're extremely successful to actually take the time to stop and, and really take care of themselves mentally and talk about it. Yeah. But, and then, but when I talk to them, like the stuff they tell me, I'm like, wow, you know, I want to you know, write a blog on this. And they're like, go ahead. You know, they want to talk and they tell you everything. I mean, they tell you stuff that their mama shouldn't hear. <laughs> um, so anyway, so we're going to do this project, right? So we start digging into the research. We do, you know, secondary research. We're reading up on everything we can from, you know, how the brain develops, decision making to even just plain old boring best business practices. And, and we, we did that basically the first half of last year. And then starting about six months ago, we got into these in-depth interviews. And we've done interviews across the country, mostly with 20, 30-something entrepreneurs, uh, also with some thought leaders. You know, they're all at different stages of their, their startup path. Um, so, I, so we're getting a nice cross-section, I, I feel like. The, the one thing that is important to note, you know, when we're talking, we're, we keep saying entrepreneurs, but, you know, the freelancers and, and the contract workers in the gig economy in particular share many of the same issues in terms of the emotional roller coaster and business professionals do too you know that so i think what we should do is i'm going to jump right into so we aggregated what we found and i'm just going to uh, run through that list 
And something to keep in mind is some of those you might be like, yeah, what's surprising is going to be the intensity of the entrepreneurial experience in dealing with these. So what we have, as far as the list goes, we have unrealistic expectations on about every level with unexpected setbacks and challenges, trying to live up to the pop image of the entrepreneur, self-doubt and questioning self-worth, unexpected level of isolation and loneliness, co-founder friction, uncertainty and lack of boundaries, managing team members and business relationships, hearing no, managing personal relationships, utter lack of work, personal life balance, uh, and no boundary between work and personal life, uh, little losses snowballing, and then fatigue compounding anxiety and, and triggering depression and, and a host of other issues. So just real quick, when the people fill these out, here's what we have. Lack of work-life balance, 26 people mentioned that. 20 people mentioned self-doubt. Financial income issues, 23 people noted that. Uh, managing per personal relationships, 12 people. 14 people, no time for exercise or hobby. 13 were worried about taking chances. And then 11, isolation and loneliness were an issue. And fatigue was an issue for 13 of you. So, you know, they, a lot of people here would seem are experiencing the same sorts of things. It's, you know, again, to what, to what degree? But of all our work, there, we had some surprises, I yeah. would say, in, in looking at this. Yeah, so some of the surprises that I found was just like the degree of isolation that a lot of entrepreneurs, um, well, I guess it was kind of you know brought upon themselves. So what it seemed to be was it was just really easy for them to kind of jettison friends or family members out of the picture when they started to work you know, long hours and really dig in on their startup. And all of a sudden, those relationships just kind of vanished. And they didn't really realize, and I did this myself, didn't really realize until you know it was almost too late and they're a couple years into the startup and they look around and they say, whoa, like where'd all my friends go? That was something that we heard kind of over and over again. And then another big one that was pretty interesting and I wasn't familiar with this term actually when we first started the project is imposter syndrome. So basically what that means is you are successful and then you convince yourself that you're actually a fraud in your own head. And you basically are convinced that despite all the success you've had, it's come down to luck or you know, some other factors that don't involve you or you've tricked people into thinking you're successful and the self-doubt starts to creep in. And the majority of entrepreneurs we've talked to, most of them, one, didn't know what that was. And then two, all of them have this self-doubt creeping in and they realize, you know, as we started to talk about it, that, you know, everyone has the same kind of problem. So those were kind of two of the things that kept coming up and were recurring themes and also a little bit surprising. I think for me, the, the isolation was particularly surprising. Because, you know, entrepreneurs are generally social creatures with networks, right? You need to have a network to really succeed as an entrepreneur. And yet, yet they found themselves so lonely and isolated. It was, it was just unbelievable. Let's see. So before we get into some actionable items, one thing that we should talk about, the self-awareness and emotional intelligence. You know, what is an underlying personality trait or set of traits that, that can help entrepreneurs get through, push through this. And, you know, there's no silver bullet, right? The, the self-awareness is clearly a critical thing, and it's something that, that you feel pretty strongly about. And I will say, just to set this up, that there's a debate, you know, is it innate or learned? You know, can you develop it? Can you cultivate it? So why don't, yeah. you, why don't you talk about that a so little I bit? So I think, yeah, from what we've from learned and what I've learned, I guess, in my experiences is that, you know, emotional intelligence or emotional quotient, you know, having that self-awareness and being able to basically look at your own feelings and, you know, know when you're doing well mentally or not. Kind of one of the most important traits that a lot of these successful entrepreneurs have um, is that ability to self-reflect. And 
like you just said, I mean, there's argument that you can improve it and people argue that you can't improve your, your emotional intelligence. In my opinion, you know, you can to an extent. And I think one of the things that I found personally was, you know, there's kind of these big events that trigger that self-reflection to a point that it just goes a step further than if you were just sitting down and doing yoga and trying to, you know, be reflective. So for me, it was, you know, when we decided to, when I decided to basically walk away from Crass & Co., my first company, you know, that was a big one. And then the car event that I have described, you know, that was a, a big one for me as well. And then also seeing in between my two startups, I was working as a chief marketing officer for this company and seeing, you know, somehow the other executives were managing their teams and realizing that some of the stuff that they were doing from a management standpoint, one, I didn't agree with, and it you know, was really harming their employees. And two, I did the exact same thing in my, in my first startup and realizing that. So I think there's kind of these trigger points that'll trigger you to really think about, you know, really be self-aware and it's kind of forced on you. So in, in my opinion, and from what we've you know, learned from some of the entrepreneurs we've talked to, it can be kind of coaxed out and you can improve that emotional intelligence. And we're about to get into, you know, uh, some just basic things that you can do, but really the underlying theme to all these kind of action items in terms of improving, you know, the mental health ultimately is having the self-awareness and the emotional intelligence to be reflective and know when you've hit that breaking point. And to do something. Yeah, and to yeah. do something about it. And just to, to support what he's saying is uh, just a couple snippets from, from interviews. I interviewed this 29-year-old and his, uh, he, he said, here's his quote, my theory on this coming from a young 29-year-old based on my short experience, struggle begets empathy. So he talked about how when he was in high school, he was sort of in the out crowd. And when he went to college, he really wanted to be on the in crowd. But that meant hanging out with people that really weren't his kind of people. And the people who really should have been his friends looked at him like he was an asshole. And when he came out of college, he only had like, he looked around and was like, I only have like a few good friends from college. And he was talking to one of his friends. It's like, what's up? And he just said, dude, in college, you were an asshole. And so that was a big eye-opener for him. Another one was this, this guy actually who lives near us up in, in Vermont. He was from a, a very religious conservative family. And, and where we live in the Upper Valley in Vermont, it's very liberal. So he was coming from that very conservative family into a liberal environment, went to college, at actually at Dartmouth, very liberal school, but then he went into the U.S. Air Force. And so he went from being conservative to liberal into a very rigid, disciplined situation with the Air Force. And he said that experience really made him open his eyes and much more self-aware and it, he felt that that improved his emotional intelligence. So, you know, one thing you can do is look at your life story, you know, how does it inform each additional phase? So, so there was a bunch of great little stories that came out of that. But the thing about self-awareness and, and emotional intelligence, it can be a little bit soft and gushy and, you know, it's hard to get a handle on. It's like, can I really work on it or can't I? You had one thing about the Colby oh, yeah. index that can help you get a handle on it. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the other things too, that we've talked to, we talked to some thought leaders, obviously, uh, about this and one of the things that people have found helpful is taking kind of, it's not really a personality test. It's more of like an assessment of how you handle action, basically. And uh, one that I found really interesting was the Kobe uh, index. And it's basically just an assessment of like how you deal with things. And so taking some of those to be like help you kind of kick off that process of being self-reflective and starting to, I guess, understand yourself a bit better. Okay. So anyway, so it's a good jumping off point to then get into these, these action items. So we're going to really spend the rest of the talk 
banging through yeah, these. Gonna We're going to bang through them because we got a ton of them. And again, these are all collected from our interviews. And like, you know, if I do an interview with one person and he says, this is what I think works, you know, I'll check it against another view. It's like, hey, what do you think about this? So we, we feel pretty good about these. I think the really important thing here, again, is that, you know, a lot of it you'll say, oh, yeah, I know I should do that. But it's the whole commitment. You're going to actually do it. And that's, again, what entrepreneurs will, will struggle with. Starting with expectations, because if, if your expectations are completely out of whack, misaligned, unrealistic, you're going to set yourself up for a, a lot of setbacks and a lot of angst right out of the gate. So why don't you talk a, a little bit about that? Yeah. So it's kind of like one of the analogies that we've used is it's like the when you hear about teenage girls and they go on Instagram and they see these Instagram models and the Instagram models look so pretty and they want to, you know, look like that. But the reality is the photos are photoshopped and they never can. Right. And it's kind of like that's how a lot of entrepreneurs who are first getting started, you know, they see these entrepreneurs on social media and they're doing all this cool stuff and they're flying around the world. And the reality is obviously, you know, it, that's not what it's going to be like. And the other thing, too, is they see, you know, the stories of like, oh, this guy ate ramen noodles for seven days straight. Like how, you know, how cool is that? Like he was really in the trenches. And then the reality, of course, is it's like, you know, it's not seven days. It's like seven weeks or seven months. And it's like infinitely worse than they could possibly imagine. So that's one of the things that kind of we have seen repeated over and over again is people come into entrepreneurship or into a high pressure uh, job. And their expectations are just totally out of whack with what the reality of their situation is. So in terms of what to look out for, you know, the isolation, as we've talked about, is way, you know, it's way easier to fall into that. Like you can be the most social, per like I was social chair of my fraternity. Like I was really social. And all of a sudden I looked around and I was like, I have no friends. I don't even know who to call. And it was because I was so focused and like hyper focused on my startup and working, you know, every hour of the day. And then another thing, too, is everything is just amplified. So everything takes far longer than you expect it to cost more than you expect it to. Every single action typically in a startup is amplified like that. So the expectations that people come in with and I still do this myself. You know, I've been doing this now for 10 years and I have expectations that are totally thrown out almost immediately. So, you know, having those expectations line up. Um, is something that really catches people off guard right out the gate. Yeah, so you know, you get frustrated with the setbacks and it, it just starts to, to snowball. But something uh, really underlying expectations and what you expect to get out of your business is is what's your motivation for, for starting a business. And uh, there was a guy I interviewed, um, he's now in San Francisco, another tech startup. It's hard to find people who actually want to make clothes anymore. Um, so he, this guy was pretty cool to talk to. He, he had a very privileged upbringing, went to private school, went to an Ivy League school. And after he graduated, you know, he was like, I want to do something that is all on me. And, you know, it, it doesn't rely on my mom and dad's networks and, and, you know, being coached and SAT classes and the whole shipping. I want to do something. I just have to rely on myself. So he decided to hike the AT the Appalachian Trail, which is 2,200 miles, right? From what, Georgia to Mount Katahdin in Maine. And it, this is what he did. Before he even started the hike, though, you know, he wanted to really keep that motivation in his head. Here's what he wrote. I, I, wrote, a, I wrote on a piece of paper my motivations. Um, what would happen to me if, if I finished the AT, if I quit the AT? The reason 
I bring that up is because I think it's incredibly important to understand your motivations for pursuing any significant life path, any decision about your life path. I did that for my company as well. I knew if I was going to embark on a startup, I'm creating companies from scratch and I'm creating companies. I need to know from day one why I was doing it. And so something that's always worried me about this guy, he has a passion, well, clearly for money, I think, but a passion for being an entrepreneur versus a passion for uh, a particular product or service. So for example, another guy I interviewed, he's been 10 years in a business of manufacturing skis to order, and it is a grind. He still works seven days a week, often 12-hour days, and he says, I don't want to be anywhere else. I have such passion for this. This guy has, he has two cats, and I think those are his friends. <laughs> I didn't want to say anything to him, but um, cats always worry me. But. Uh, <laughs> So I think understanding, you know, what you know, what do you think about that? I mean, yeah. how, how do you think that impacts you and yeah. your ability to succeed? So you know, everyone talks about if, if you're well read on anything entrepreneurship based, you know, everyone talks about I have to have passion for your business, right? And I thought I could just have a passion for taking the next next step, basically, in the entrepreneurial journey. And ultimately, when I had my clothing company, we went from 100% men's to 99% teenage girls as our customer over like a 12-month stretch. And we chased the money, and we made a lot of money selling clothes to teenage girls. But you know, one day I just, when things started to get tough, you know, I was just having a bad week. I was like, why am I doing this? Like, why am I selling like sports bras? Like, what what's going on? And so that's when I finally realized, oh, everyone's right. You actually, you know, have to be passionate about your business. And so you know, now I found. So my new business is, you know, growth advisory and digital marketing. So I get to make other people money. And now I'm actually passionate and, you know, my interests are aligned with the business because I get the excitement out of seeing people's revenues jump and I get to do that. So, you know, I finally found that right fit, but you really can't discount that advice that you have to actually have true motivation and be really passionate about it. So jumping into the next uh, action item we have, having a strategic plan. So again, this might sound silly, and you're, if you know if you have a background in business, you're thinking, of course, we need a strategic plan. Like, right? Like, we're going to start a company. There has to be a strategic plan. You know, what we found is most entrepreneurs they're either coming from corporate America or out of MBA program or whatever it is, and they're basically trying to implement a really structured business plan, systems, and all this stuff, and it's too bloated and it doesn't work because there's such there's so much uncertainty when it comes to being an entrepreneur. So what we found is some of the most successful people, you know, they have this strategic plan that is nimble and allows them, you know, to change basically direction, you know, every week if they need to and to pivot and to not feel bad about it. Because what a lot of people do is they get caught up with this plan that they had in place and it basically just causes them to stop executing because they, they stall and, you know, they get worried that they're not doing what they had laid out and, you know, started initially to do. So that's one of our big pieces of advice is definitely having, you know, a plan that is not rigid so you can, you know, go back to it. You can set deadlines, you can have goals, but ultimately, you know, be able to work in the uncertainty. And, and for me personally, I use a one page strategic plan and I'm forgetting the guy's name right now. If you go on uh, gazelles.com, it's uh, Vern Harnish who developed it. And I've obviously tinkered with it because I couldn't help myself. But, you know, it's a really solid one page plan that just keeps everyone on track. So that's one of the things that we found. And it seems so simple. And like, you know, I'm sure most of you are sitting there like, oh, yeah, no kidding. You need a plan. Um, but really being able to address the uncertainty and have something that works for you as an individual and for your team, you know, everyone's is different. And it's important to find that bounce um, and basically be able to use that to drive your team forward without, you know, getting caught off guard. Not yeah. Being able to so, 
So here's the thing, like, like we want to manage the roller coaster, right? This is a business tool to actually flatten the roller coaster a bit, okay? Because you, you come in with these expectations. And here's a, I, I, let's see, I interviewed this guy down in South Carolina who does a lot of mentoring of, of entrepreneurs. And I asked him about uh, expectations and, and planning and so forth. And he said, this is what he told me. He said, with, with any founder of a company, that is one of the main things I spend time on. It's how to set expectations properly for yourself. Sometimes entrepreneurs have visions of grandeur, so bringing them at all back down to earth is important. The way to do that is by working together to create a strategic plan. So Pearson touched on a couple aspects of the plan, but the other thing to think about with a plan is this is a plan that is sort of an all-encompassing plan. So you're going to have friction with employees. Hiring, firing sucks. You're going to, if you have a co-founder, you're probably going to have friction. You got roles and responsibilities to think about. You've got accountability to think about. Who's going to do what by when? You have all these other things that that you may not think about baking into a business plan before you even open the doors. But if you do that, it can alleviate so much stress. So there's you know there's the you know forget about the financial modeling because like you said you know it's going to be gone in a week anyway. It's going to blow up. But all these other things that go into strategic plan are, are super important. And, and going off that too, another thing that you know we found that's really important is having the right systems and processes in place at the right time. So another kind of pitfall that people you know will hit is they're either coming at it as an entrepreneur and there's no systems and no processes, and they're like, whatever, you know, I'm just going to do what I want, do it by the seat of my pants, and that's like their natural inclination. Or again, they're coming from like a corporate job where of course they have all these systems and everything's really robust. So, you know, what's really important is being able to, you know, look at your team, look at what you're trying to accomplish and put the right systems and processes in place at the right time. So just a silly example, and I I made this mistake a few months ago, we were starting out with the marketing agency. So we wanted to keep track of our clients. So immediately I was like, oh, well, we'll get Salesforce. Like, that's great. I love Salesforce. Like we're going to implement Salesforce. And then uh, one of my partners was like, well, why don't we just keep track of this on an Excel sheet? We've got 20 leads. Like, who cares? Like, why are we going to spend all week configuring Salesforce? And ultimately, of course, we didn't configure Salesforce because it would have been too burdensome on us. So a lot of the like, great entrepreneurs that we've talked to are able to really notice. And you have to be you know, self-aware and see when it's the right time to implement those systems. But you're looking to implement those systems and processes to ultimately, you know, make things less burdensome on you from like a mental standpoint, knowing that stuff's getting done, having a system to know that employees are doing what they need to be doing or that you're, you know, pushing the ball forward. So that, that was also a really important point that goes kind of on the back of the strategic plan. Yeah. And then the other thing is that we can't forget about is a number of entrepreneurs actually bake their personal strategic career plan into their business plan. And they're really thinking tactically, you know, what do I need to do to have the tools uh, to to succeed, right? So I'm just going to quote one of these guys, that 29-year-old I, I um, interviewed. Uh, he said that he wants to take as much time as he can to build skill, his skills. So he's actually doing an MBA program at Tuck and down here at the Harvard, one of the Harvard schools. So he has three years and that's his runway. So I don't know who's paying those tuition bills, but but he's like, I'm going to go to you know MBA program that's a three-year program. I'd rather, and then he says, I'd rather make mistakes at someone else's company than my own. So, you know, he worked at a bunch of different places before, before entering the MBA program. So it's a really good point to make, though. If you, and he says, if you have a really good idea and the technical ability to make it happen in your 23, you know, go for it. 
but there are tactical moves you can make in your career to set yourself up. And then the one other thing I think that's important to point out here on, on the whole planning thing is I read to you a statement a guy made about be careful about your business not model. You need to know where the pressures are going to come from. And you were like, forget about the, the business pressures because you don't know where that might come from, but you were more concerned with uh, yeah, the, the personal pressure points. So where yeah. like, you know, something that I didn't really think through and then no one really thinks through, at least from our conversations, is thinking about where the personal pressure is going to come from. So whether you have like a parent who's going to be prone to getting really upset that you quit your job and jumped into the startup or whatever it may be. So, you know, I think dropped out of college, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> drop out of college, you know, being able to kind of take a, take some time before you jump in on this entrepreneur roller coaster and try to pinpoint where you think those pressures are going to come from, whether it's a spouse or a girlfriend or boyfriend or um, friendships, whatever it is, like trying to trying to really see where that's going to come from and predict and, you know, make some adjustments before that happens. Um, and that's a good segue into the next thing, which is, you know, having a plan for managing your personal relationships. So a lot of people that we talk to, like I said, there's this isolation factor that you're trying to avoid. And, um, you know, there's a lot of anxiety and stress that can be overcome by surrounding yourself with the right people. So, um, from, from our conversations and from my personal experience, a lot of the most successful entrepreneurs that we've talked to, and, and you know this relates to, to just being a professional, you know, they have the right network of people around them and it's usually made up of some sort of mentor or mentors. Um, they have, you know, a strong friend, friends or spouse or whoever it is, someone in their personal uh, life that, you know, supports them. And then they're also, um, you know, surrounding themselves with the right employees and the right people. So that in general, you know, having a good plan in place to surround yourself with the right people is really important. But then also where most people fall short is actually managing those relationships in a, in a meaningful way and um, <laughs> not losing them. Yeah. Notice he didn't talk about family relationships there. But this, so one of the guys I interviewed, uh, he said he's really fortunate that his wife is supportive. He said, like, if you don't have a supportive spouse, right, he said it's the kiss of death. And, and uh, I think that you, you actually, this is a little bit brutal, but um, you, you use like ROI yeah. for your girlfriend. Yeah. 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 yeah so I did use that term. This, his mother was, we were talking this over and his mother was completely appalled. She was like, I was like, no, 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 it's not that, it's not that bad, really. Yeah. <laughs> so, but do you, do you want to talk a little yeah, bit about so. how? <laughs> Yeah, so so there's, no, there's a, a point to that. There's a there there. So the thing is, is it's like the emotional. Yeah, the energy, emotional yeah. stress, right? So being surrounded by the right people, and what it ultimately, I was happened to be in this relationship. And what it ultimately came down to was like I couldn't put anything into it, right? Like I was so busy, and at the end of the day, being in that relationship just added more stress and compounded the stress and anxiety I already was feeling because they were obviously, you know, my girlfriend was obviously really pissed off that I just spent all my time with my work and you know I thought movie night oh great I can sit on my laptop answer emails while we watch the TV like this should be you know great time that's not good um, or for example you know uh, I was always trying to pitch business ideas like when I right as I'm falling asleep I come up with like some of my best ideas so she'd be like half asleep and be like oh guess what I got this great idea like what if we did this she's like what are you talking about like go to bed so anyhow um, you know that goes back to surrounding yourself and, and, and being a like aware of the people around you. So in that instance, she was not a good person to bring on the roller coaster with me. 
Um, and I should have, you know, been aware of that and obviously had some separation uh, between work and, and the personal relationship, which I, which I didn't. Um, and I, and I did that twice in a row. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an issue that we haven't really gotten past, but, but you guys can, you guys can get past that. Um, and, and not do that. But basically, you know, in terms of managing, we're going to try to get through a few more things here, but we're, we're actually coming up. Um, in terms of managing like that sort of relationship, like a romantic relationship, which is actually probably one of the hardest ones that we've talked to any entrepreneurs about, you know, you really, when people talk about having work-life balance and having like separation from your business and, you know, your personal life, a lot of entrepreneurs like scoff at that and are like, well, I love what I do. Like, why would I have any separation? I want to do my company, you know, all the time. And the reality is you probably don't need the separation as an entrepreneur. Like it's not necessarily for you. It's for other people in your life that just don't care about your startup as much as you do. So what we found is a lot of people that had relationships blow up and we've talked to, you know, plenty of people that went through, you know, divorces, unfortunately, or, you know, long-term relationships that blew up when they started their company. You know, a lot of times what it was is they just didn't have that separation and they didn't recognize that it wasn't necessarily for them but it was more for, you know, their significant other or someone else. Um, and yeah, we'll try to yeah. fire off a few more here. Yeah. And so, and the other thing is he's not the only ruthless one. I talked to young entrepreneurs who said, <laughs> I don't need a vibrant social life. I've cut, you know, 50 quote unquote friends out of my life. I just need three, maybe five. Um, so they really, you know, they're very conscious of paring it down and, and how much energy they, they have for that. I think the one other thing real quick that, that would be good to talk about is, is employee relationships. Because what, what happens is, you know, there's that, there is that vacuum of personal relationship. Yeah. Right? And so, so what happens at work? Yeah, this is a really important one that no one has seemed to really think about much that we've talked to. So once there is that vacuum and you start to feel isolated, what ends up happening is you have your employee one or employee two, whoever it is, that comes in and kind of fills that friend void. And that's like a trap that you fall into because you get this first or second employee, you become friends with them. And then all of a sudden, if you end up having issues, you know, where you need to let them go or something, you know, they're doing something wrong, it really makes that conversation extremely challenging. So there's a lot of people that I know, and I've done this myself, actually, where they dragged out, um, you know having an employee there that shouldn't have been there and that was really poisoning the team for an extended period of time uh, because they felt like it was, you know, their friend. Um, and they just had kind of lost everyone else and that was who they confided in. So that's an important, important pitfall. And um, just to try to fire off a couple more real quick here before. Well, we you got ruthless to... about that. Well, yeah. He, so yeah. he kept that with Crass & Co. You kept an yeah, employee, kept employee on longer like than you should have. Yeah, I kept months than I should have. And then, and then recently, with yeah. this new company, he fired someone after six days. Yeah. So um, why don't I bang through uh, the, the building a strong boundary between workplace? Sure. Yeah, we'll just try to get a couple more things in. Yeah. So just one other quick one uh, that I think is really important is maintaining an identity outside of uh, work and outside of your startup. So, you know, if you get sucked into your startup, what happens is it becomes like such a big piece of like your, your identity and like your personal worth that when things go wrong, it feels like it just, you know, decimates you personally. And especially if you have like a big failure, you have to step away from the company you know, if your entire personal worth and your personal identity is tied to that, it can really, it can really hurt. And that's, you know, something that we've seen repeated time and time again. So it's important to keep, you know, a hobby or just anything, even if it's just an hour a week outside of the startup that allows you to have something, you know, to fall back on, um, you know, not only when things get tough, but just as part of your own identity um, so that it doesn't feel stripped away when the business is doing poorly. Yeah. So just uh, to quote, uh, 
one of the interviewees, this, this guy, Andy, he's the Pittsburgh guy who, who was on the verge of um, suicide I, I referred to earlier. He told me, uh, the one thing I think that has been my grace and savior is music, actually. Every day I try to take at least an hour to play some music. I was classically trained on the piano growing up, but when I came to college, I stopped playing music altogether. I felt something was terribly wrong and missing in my life. So, and, and we talked to other folks um, who are doing things like that, you know, so it, the identity doesn't have to be something you have to commit a lot of time to. It's yeah. just um, something that you can fall back on. But, and that plays right into another issue is, is the lack of boundary between the workplace and personal life. So, you know, pretty much everyone we talk to are like, I'm up at 3 a.m. thinking about business. It's like I got a bad song in my head. And, you know, it's, I'm just repeating the same lines. It's unproductive. You know, you're taking business everywhere with you, you know, with your devices. And so we, we really talk to them about, you know, well, how are you building a boundary to separate yourself? So the identity was a big one for sure. Um, the, the other one, which we mentioned, building a few good relationships. So, like, just invest in a few good relationships. And, and something you talked about was even if you can't, Go see them, um, follow them on social media, see what they're up to, comment, engage with them, you know, via Instagram or Facebook or, or whatever it may be. So they know that you're still out there and interested in them. So when the time comes that you can reconnect, they're not like, dude, you didn't talk to me for five years. Um, so that so that's another one. But here's a good one, too, that that people thought worked really well was treating Treating dates, socializing, going to the gym, doing yoga, whatever it might be, treat it like a business meeting. So you're going to put it on your calendar. But the only the rule is that if you put it on your calendar, you have to commit to it just like you would a business meeting. And this really worked for people because they said, hey, if I back out of a business meeting, I feel like total shit. You know, I'm not backing out of business meeting. So I'm putting it on my calendar and I'm going to stick to it no matter how tired I am no matter what else I have on my plate, and I'm going to do this. And, and I think that's been very successful, and it's, it's really been like a weapon for, you know, building that, that boundary um, for people. And then the other one is the turn off and tune out. Yeah. This, was, this has been big for people, which uh, is basically, you know, so for example, if you have a family, the minute you walk through the door, cell phone, pad, computer, they're gone, and you don't touch them. That's it. It's a hard and fast rule. Another one, uh, this one I really like, actually. There's this guy uh, out in Colorado we interviewed, and he's a web developer and very entrepreneurial guy. He even started a sunglass company, which is why we were interviewing him. What he did was he took all of his data plans off of his cell phone. So he couldn't check emails. He couldn't check any kind of notifications. He couldn't check his um, sales reports, nothing. Uh, it, it was all on his iPad. And so the iPad just stayed at work and he would leave with his cell phone and, and that was it. That's all he had. And he said that was for him just uh, like being set free. He loved it. And then the other thing real quick is just you can be a team of two or a team of hundred, but you can set company policies to create those boundaries. And so uh, the young lady I mentioned down in New York City that I interviewed, she has set company policies. It took for them to hire a few people to understand that they have to care about the mental health of these other people. They're like, okay, we're going to set company policies. So, for example, they have set work hours. Everyone leaves when the work day, you know, when five o'clock comes. 
You can go home. You can be on email and doing stuff online, but you cannot be online after 8 p.m. You can be online on Saturdays, but you can't be online on Sundays. So they set all these company policies that they expect the employees to live up to, and because they expect the employees to do it, they do it. So that's like a real simple thing, but as she put it, it's like putting a stake in the ground. You know, we've got to draw the line, and this is what we're going to do. So there are ways to, to create that, that separation between personal life um, and, and the work life. That's our show for this week. Thanks again for tuning in to the Ivy Podcast by Ivy, the social university. We are the grad school for life, and our mission is to spark world-changing collaborations by introducing you to the most inspiring people, ideas, and experiences in the world. Check us out at ivy.com for life-changing advice and gatherings, and the foremost thought leaders shaping our world today. For more information about the Ivy community, and to find out about events happening near you, visit ivy.com and email us via membership at ivy.com. Dream big and stay inspired. This episode of the Ivy Podcast is presented by Smartwater. What makes Smartwater so smart? It starts with a little inspiration from the clouds, nature's purest source of water. Smartwater copies those puffy white clouds in creating vapor distilled purity, pure perfection. Smartwater also has electrolytes, which helps give it that clean, crisp taste. Clouds will always be the inspiration, since the water is vapor distilled for purity. Purity you can taste, hydration you can feel. Choose Smart Water or Smart Water Sparkling today and at your local retailer.